Hi, so in this episode, I'm going to talk to Claire Allen, who heads up Penn's contractor resourcing business. And we're going to explore the importance of providing exceptional customer experience in the saturated market that is contractor resourcing. And we're going to talk about what constitutes an exceptional customer experience and drill down into why Claire believes that AI will never replace personal service when it comes to recruitment. And I'm particularly interested in this personally. I used to be a contractor when I left Mm. corporate life. I spent probably 10 years or so doing what I called lifestyle consulting, which was basically bouncing from gig to gig. Trying to find work is not always easy. And when you deal with agencies, if I'm honest with you, my experience was extremely mixed and it made a massive difference when I felt that the person that was working with me was working in partnership with me, if I can put it that way. I think it was um, it, there was a real difference between good and bad in that respect. And I, although I generated most of the work myself, I certainly had experience of, of dealing with agencies and having somebody who can advocate for you, make you feel like they're on your side. And, you know, contracting can be a pretty lonely life in my experience. And, you know, actually just having someone to talk to sometimes about the market and having a a, a contact is massively important emotionally as well as financially. So I'm really, really interested in all of this, Claire. So first of all, hello and uh, welcome to the show. Claire, first of all, why don't you just give us a quick brief intro to yourself so that people know who you are? Yes, of course. Hi, Neil. Thanks for having me. So I've been with Penn for about eight years or so, pretty much since the beginning. And I've been a professional recruiter for most of my career. So I remember the early days when recruitment was literally yellow pages and a Rolodex. I've seen quite a lot of change in that time. There's now much more process around recruitment. So job boards, the rise of LinkedIn, much more professionalism from candidates and also increased automation. But it's always been a really interesting, varied role, sometimes a bit of a roller coaster. But I think that's partly why I like it so much. I'm sure. I'm sure. And let's get stuck into it. I mean, people listening will be thinking, if people, particularly those that have been clients of Penn, might be thinking, well, I didn't even know Penn had a contractor resourcing arm. So even though I guess I know the answer to this question, I'm going to ask it to you anyway, because I'd like to hear it from you. But I mean, why do Penn have a contractor resourcing arm? And and what's the difference between what we call an associate, i.e. somebody who's working on as a consultant on a project with us versus somebody who's doing pure contract work through things that you place? Yes. So as you know, Neil, we have our PERM consulting team and then we have a bank of independent specialists who work with the PEN team on consulting engagements. We call them associates and we treat them as part of the PEN consulting team. But sometimes when we talk to clients, we realise that actually they don't need a full PEN consulting team but instead they need some point expertise for a defined amount of time. So that might be project management expertise or maybe fund accounting expertise or specialist business analysis expertise. And when we set up PEN, we anticipated this possible need for a complementary function. And the contractor resourcing arm has been really successful in giving clients access to contractor expertise at a lower price point than the core consultancy. Okay. And just to be absolutely clear then, can you be very specific about the difference between what we call an associate and a contractor? Yes, yes, of course. So associate and contractor are both terms that we use internally at Penn. We term associates as independents who are working on consulting engagements and they're managed and governed by a Penn project lead. But contractors, on the other hand, are placed directly into the client and they're not working on a Penn-owned project. Associates and contractors are both independents, and in many cases, they've worked with Penn on many engagements over many years. But you see there's a slight difference between the work that they do and the way in which they're engaged by the client. 
Yeah, sure. I think that is a very important distinction. Certainly, you know, as as a partner who sells business on behalf of Penn and, and has to set projects up, I think what I'd add to that is, you know, one of the most useful parts of this is, you know, quite often, and we genuinely mean we want to do the right thing by clients when we're talking to them, and you know, you you'll be having a conversation, and you know, there may be a situation where you could probably sell a consultant into a role, but actually the right answer is clearly, actually, you you really just need a bit of point expertise, as you put it, and you need somebody who can go in there. And quite often, they don't need supervision or oversight from somebody in, in the extra expense that might come from that. And so therefore, I personally find it great to have that in our armory, both as a, an additional price point, but also just doing the right thing by the client. You know, sometimes the, the need is, is very clear and um, to have that available and, and have the ability to hand over to you and the team to do that is is great. So thank you for that. So let's get stuck into customer experience in this sector then. So, I mean, obviously, customer experience is my life. That's what I do for a living. It's a well-trodden path in most industries. I mean, is it a thing in recruitment? It totally depends, I would say. Recruitment is a very, very client-focused industry. So in terms of the customer experience, it is important, but it's not like customer experience in other industries. I mean, I must say, I haven't heard about net promoter scores or similar within recruitment, but I guess that's because it's not like buying an investment product or a new mobile phone. You know, when you buy a new mobile, then EE might send you a text and you have to give your experience via text back to them thing is there are two parties involved so both parties have opinions and in some way the customer experience changes each time depending on both parties needs and styles and customer experience feedback is I guess in my opinion mainly given by word of mouth and of course it can be really damaging if it's negative. Yeah okay so I mean that brings to an obvious point I mean how do you define good customer experience or customer experience but how do you define good customer experience in recruitment and and I suppose the other question that's on my mind at the same time is, who is actually the customer here? You talk about two parties there, but who is the customer? Yes, yes, it's a tricky one, isn't it? And I'm going to answer the latter part of that question first. Obviously, as you say, both parties are the customer, so the client and the candidate. Recruitment is a sales role, but you're effectively selling a person with an opinion. So it's not like selling a pen. I think it's really important to balance both parties' need as the role involves negotiation on both sides. So by that, I mean that in order to provide an exceptional customer experience, you need to really understand the client and find the best solution for the role that they need filling. Then you've got to sell that role to the candidates. And then the candidates have to sell themselves to you so that you agree that they have the right skills and that you're happy to put them forward. And then once you've found the candidates, you've got to sell them to the client. And all the while that you do this, you've got to be really perceptive as to how both the client and the candidate want to be managed because it's not a kind of one size fits all in recruitment in my mind. So I guess that brings me on to the first part of your question, Neil, which is how do you define customer experience in recruitment? I think that in recruitment, the provision of an exceptional customer experience can be achieved in several different ways. So one of the skills of a good recruiter, in fact, probably the best, the most important skill of a good recruiter, I think, is the ability to read a client and understand how they like to interact. So there are some clients who want to literally dictate some bullet points to you, and then they then don't want to be bothered until you present them with a candidate shortlist, all of whom they'll probably interview without really reading their CV. I suppose you might call this kind of client as a complete finisher. So they don't really want to engage too much, but they have really high expectations of you as a recruiter. Quite often, I've been in 
client role briefings where other recruiters haven't read the room and they've asked unnecessary questions just to get noticed. So it's quite cringing. <laughs> you know, the internal HR team might bring in the hiring manager just to download what the role's about. And you can really feel his or her frustration. They just want to download the details and then interview your top three candidates. What they don't want is someone to ask lots of unnecessary questions just to try and get noticed. <laughs> But on the other hand, some clients much prefer to get to know the recruiter, to take the time to listen, take advice on board about rates, availability of skills, that kind of thing. And they're happy to answer questions that I might have. These types of hiring managers like to be updated on progress on a regular basis. And actually, it gives them a sense of comfort to know how things are going. They also want direction and they appreciate a view on which candidate best fits the bill. So these are the clients that I much, much, much prefer because it's far easier to gauge the cultural fit and then match that culture with a suitable candidate when you're given the time to interact properly with the client and to really understand what they want. And also, I mean, it's it's obvious, but I get a real sense of satisfaction when I can give advice or steer. And quite often, I know I have a really good candidate. And even if they don't exactly match the client's brief, I know that this person would do very well in that role. So a client that trusts me enough to interview my recommendation and then maybe offer them the role makes me very happy. I guess what I'm saying is that to provide an exceptional customer experience in recruitment, it's crucial to really quickly work out the level of engagement that will work best for the hiring manager. If I get it wrong, then they'll remember me as that annoying, pestering recruiter or the one who didn't bother to update me, so I had to chase her. Yeah, okay. No, fair enough. Uh, A couple of reflections there from me, really. I mean, I think quite often when people ask me, you know, what's the, the number one or the most important element of customer experience management if you had to boil it down to that and and I think usually my answer is empathy it's the ability to understand the other person whoever that other person might be and you know you you're in a, a situation that a lot of businesses find themselves in which is there's, there's more than one customer to deal with it's all about stakeholder management but the most important thing there as you termed it reading the room is all about empathy it's about understanding how that person wants to work what they really really want from you as a service in addition to the actual you know specific thing you're doing for them in terms of the search and, and finding candidates and and how they want to deal with you the other point I just quickly make as well is you know you talked about not being aware of MPS I mean it's it's a really interesting point isn't it you know why don't we measure you know it could be quite a transactional relationship in some instances and actually getting feedback is is an interesting point so you you just spurred me there to think about how we might um, (laughs) adopt some kind of measurement because it would be fascinating to uh, to get a sense of uh, of that and the extent to which that might lead to repeat business so Okay. All right. So it's all about empathy. It's all about understanding, reading the room. I'm sure we've all had the opposite of that in in various different experiences in in different roles as we've worked our way through our careers. So why is customer experience so important in recruitment? I mean, surely at the end of the day, what they really, really want is is a CV and and finding somebody that's, that's there. Does it really make a difference? Well, obviously, the end game is finding the best candidate and getting them to accept the role. But if you think about it, sometimes the first interaction that a potential employee has with an organization is through a recruiter. So that interaction does need to reflect, I think, the overall brand and any lazy communications or inaccurate, you know, or or not getting back to candidates just won't cut it. The number one candidate complaint that I hear is lack of updates, which is sometimes out of our control as we're, of course, dependent on the client for updates. You've probably heard of sites like Glassdoor or Indeed and others which are becoming more and more popular. And candidates are much more inclined these days to check those before accepting a job offer to get a view of other people's impression of that organization. 
And the last thing that as a client you want is negative reviews, which can then, of course, impact negatively on the client brand. And good candidates, particularly in a really busy market like we have at the moment, who clients want to hire, they can tend to pick and choose where they want to go. And of course, I recognize that other considerations like salary are probably much more important to a job hunter. You still don't want that negative noise in the market about the recruitment process. So that's why it's such an important thing, achieving a good customer experience. Sure. Okay. So to a certain extent, you're almost, you're representing them and anything that you do might well yeah. reflect badly on them. Okay. No, that's, that's an interesting point. I hadn't really thought of that. And again, I was banging on about measurement there. I mean, let, let's let's really just take it down to the next level of detail then. I mean, if you were posing the question, how do you measure customer experience in recruitment? I guess what I'm really asking you there is, is you know, what are the kind of facets, what are the elements that make up customer experience in recruitment and therefore what makes a good customer experience? How, how do you sort of see that? I think when clients think about a great customer experience in recruitment, there are a number of KPIs they might consider. So they might ask themselves some questions like the speed of response, the number of candidates submitted of those candidates, the number they've chosen to interview, uh, obviously the number of hires. And then I think from a candidate perspective, there are other KPIs. So a candidate might look at responsiveness. So how much, how many updates do I get from the recruiter? How quickly do they come back to me when I ring them? Do they pick up the phone or do I just get the voicemail all the time? Everything around keeping in touch, I think, seems to be most important to the candidate. But I do think that while there are some commonalities... There's no single measure because there are multiple parties involved with differing viewpoints. I genuinely think it's not easy for most firms to create a unified, standardized customer experience because I think a consistent, repeatable one isn't always possible in recruitment. I think you can have guidelines, but you do need to be responsible to the needs of both sides. And I think it once again, it comes back down to empathy to how do both parties want to be communicated with. I think you're creating a new experience each time based on both the hiring manager and also the candidate. And the process can be very different depending on how well you know the client and the candidate and also other factors like, you know, like whether the role's actually been signed off, like interviewers, diary availability, that kind of thing. Sure. Okay. That makes sense. So so I I guess to sort of reflect back to you what I'm hearing you say is is that it's a bit of a repeatable process but it's not a repeatable situation you find yourself in because obviously there's going to be different situations might be different urgency obviously as we've talked about earlier different clients want things differently they might want more or less relationship management if you like in terms of really getting stuck into this so but at the same time I guess you can almost adopt a principle-led thing. I mean, I'm, I suppose what I'm thinking is here, you know, as Penn, as you know, <laughs> you're part of the process, you know, we've got a, a pretty rigorously thought through set of principles by which we operate. I won't go on about them now because um, I'm, I'm sure people can read up on them if they want to. But as long as we we stick to that, which is the kind of Penn way of doing business and we stay true to that, then by injecting some of that into the overall customer experience, I guess that kind of guides your, your way of doing business anyway. It absolutely does. And Personally, I consider it a a kind of matter of pride that I always get back to candidates and I always update them. So quite often a client will say, look, Claire, I might have a need for, you know, a business analyst. Can you see who you've got who might fit the bill? And I'll then spend some time identifying people who I know have the right skills and might be interested and I'll send them forward. Then I might not hear back from the client for two weeks or three weeks. And I know from being a candidate myself, you know, over the years, there's nothing more frustrating than just not having progress. You'd far, a progress report. You'd far rather 
have the recruiter come back to say, I'm sorry, the role's gone away, then mm. not hear anything at all. So I consistently reply to candidates. And I hope that any of them who are listening would agree with me that, that I do do that. <laughs> well, I'm sure you'll get some comments if that's not the case. Though. So uh, <laughs> you always do when you put these things out. But uh, no, OK, that, that all makes a ton of sense. And um, I guess the flip side of that is, is having difficult conversations with people as well, you know, giving that tough feedback when it's needed, perhaps, you know, and, and not so much garnishing it, but but making it delivered in a way that is effective, I suppose, because again, you know, when I was contracting, I definitely found that if I was able to receive honest feedback about my performance, I can change things. And, you know, the, the other aspect of that to me is that, you know, as a contractor, you don't tend to have a manager other than the manager that's managing the projects at different points. And they don't treat you in quite the same way as a member of staff. So therefore, you you suffer sometimes from a lack of being managed, if you like. And, and I guess you've got a bit of a role to play in that respect, in some respects, not necessarily in the flight of the project, but certainly if you're getting feedback about a candidate, and that can be a useful conduit as well. The worst part is giving feedback after an interview if that candidate hasn't been successful because mm. I try really hard to be completely honest with a candidate and sometimes that leads to difficult conversations but mm -hmm. I think that you can't as you've just said you can't develop you can't be better next time if you're not given honest and true feedback so I do think that's really important even if it's a tricky conversation to have. No that's fair enough and on a, a similar line what about managing conflict, if I can put it that way, in the recruitment process. I mean, how do you do that whilst maintaining a good customer experience? Because I guess it's there's probably a number of potential flashpoints, and I'm sure from um, from my memory, you've had the odd bit of conflict here and there, but how, how do you deal with it? Do you know, that's a, it's a tricky one. If things go wrong, I think as the recruiter, it's very easy to be viewed as a scapegoat. There are always conflicts to manage. So very rarely is a candidate offered a role and they accept it without any questions or negotiations. Candidates and clients frequently throw curveballs at you at the last minute. I have a situation from a few years ago that sticks in my mind. A permanent role at a very well-known investment management company in London suddenly became a three-month fixed-term contract after four or five interviews, so right near the end of the process. So the candidate, whose hand that I would had to hold throughout the process, wasn't at all impressed, and he obviously turned it down. I mean, to go for a perm role and then be told at the last minute, we really like you, but it's only a three-month fixed-term mm. contract, is it going to go down well, is it? No. So the candidate was cross. The hiring manager was cross because I think that this decision came from high and both parties were pretty irritated with me. So that was a bit of a tricky one to, to manage. As it happened, that scenario did end well because although the candidate didn't accept that role, I did keep in touch with him over the years and he's now head of ops at FinTech where I've placed a few candidates under him. But it's that kind of situation where I'm just the messenger. You know, it's, it's hard to navigate, but I think it boils down to communication. So as soon as you hear anything different, no, I have to communicate with the client and the candidate. Again, other more recent conflicts that have arisen, a last minute change by the client from a day rate role to a fixed term role. I think this is probably due to IR35. So again, I had to deliver that message to the candidate. They want you, but they're not going to pay you a day rate. It's going to be a fixed term contract on a PAYE basis. And then again, recently, I had a candidate who declared at offer stage that he wants four days a week instead of five. 
And then, of course, frequently we have misaligned expectations when it comes to salaries and day rates. And my ability to influence both parties does only go so far. So, for example, if the recruitment process drags on for weeks, people's circumstances can change. So a candidate's salary expectations might go up over the course of a couple of months if the market changes or if they have more interest in their CV. I mean, two months ago, say October, November time, the market in London, I think, was a bit slow. And all of a sudden in January, it's really, really busy. So Mm. someone who in September, October might have only had one opportunity, which was mine, they now might have three or four. So of course, their expectations are going to go up. It is difficult. The way I see it is that as long as I, as the recruiter, stay connected to both parties and I ask the right questions, and the kind of right of questions that I might be asking are to a candidate, what other opportunities do you have in the pipeline? Which one of those is currently your preferred option and why? Has your availability changed at all? You know, Can you still potentially start on such and such a date? And then I'll keep asking the client throughout the process, how many other candidates are you interviewing? How many stages will there be to the process? Has the role actually been signed off? Who makes the final decision, et cetera? And as long as I continue to ask those questions, then I think I'm doing the very best that I can to give both parties the best possible customer experience and avoid conflict. Sure. Sure. So that's classic agency, isn't it? You're, you're very much playing that agent role. You're, you're constantly trying to keep on top of what's the current situation. And as you say, it's a very dynamic market. And it's quite exciting, the fact that rates can shift in a matter of weeks, sometimes for good, sometimes for bad. And I guess one of the attractions that I used to find being a self-employed contractor was exactly that, was you, you literally don't know what you're going to be doing in six months' time. And you certainly don't know what quite what you're going to be earning. And, um, you know, that you're performance-related pay is a truism in in that market as well, isn't it? You're only as good as your last film, so to speak. So, uh, good stuff. Okay. And I mean, just on, you you mentioned it there, and I shuddered when you said the the letter IR and then the number 35, (laughs) because, you know, as we both know, it's caused some pretty major disruption in the contractor market recently. Understand the motivation of the Treasury, but at the same time, you know, the potential damage to what is a massively important sector, I feel, is, is you know, a tricky one that we're all having to navigate. I mean, tell me about how we're working with our clients to overcome what is a potential problem, but I guess has some solutions. What, what are we doing in that space? Yes, you're absolutely right, Neil. It has caused some disruption, not least because the implementation of the new IR35 rules was delayed by a year. So it only came into effect in April 2021 and not in April 2020, like everyone was thinking. And I think lots of clients were really geared up for it then, and then it was delayed. But anyway, some of our clients we found have adopted a blanket inside scope approach. So that's been problematical. Some contractors are completely refusing to work inside scope, which again is problematical. And then also HMRC have in recent months, I think, been sending letters, particularly to financial services organisations, asking for details about their day rate contractors. So that's spooked clients. So what we're finding in the current environment is that clients are keen to be inside IR35 to avoid any risk at all, not just financial risk, but obviously reputational risk. Mm. You know, if you're a large insurance company, you don't want to be in the Financial Times you know, with a massive fine because you haven't adhered to your IR35 responsibilities properly. So I suppose if we bring it back round to the customer experience, we always work with our clients to make the contractor engagement process as seamless and trouble-free as we can. So at the moment, a lot of our time, our contractors are working through an umbrella company on an inside scope basis. 
And we're still getting them decent rates and they're still able, you know, to, to have the flexibility of a freelancer and the variety of engagements. So it's working at the moment. But in some cases, roles are very clearly outside IR35. So, for example, if we have a subject matter expert doing a day a week or completely from home, writing reports and being, you know, being kept well away from the client, obviously there are other criteria that need to be fulfilled as well. But mm. some roles are clearly outside IR35. And in those cases, we work with a third party to do our IR35 assessments. And this third party then ensures PEN against an incorrect status determination which gives both Penn and the client the peace of mind that we're sticking to the rules and that all parties are protected. So I think from an IR35 point of view, our overall aim is to make it trouble-free for the client and for the candidate, but you know, the clients really value that. Yeah, sure, sure. Yeah, and you know, it's a source of constant discussion, as you know, internally around how we deal with this. And, and as you say, I think we're getting through it. And who knows where it'll end up. I'm sure we'll get to a, a happy place where we can safely conduct a, a business in the way that um, meets everyone's needs. And I, I suppose the other reflection for me is, you know, when I was contracting, there was a, a thing called Section 660, which was another diktat. is actually IR35 originally, I think, appeared quite soon after that. And that, that was a, a, an issue around when people had spouses and involving them in their business to um to you know try and uh, avoid some tax so it was certainly a a big thing at the time and you you only had to have one or two big cases in accountancy newsletters to scare the living daylights out of the entire contractor community where suddenly you know hmrc determined that they were able to go back six or seven years over somebody's earnings which obviously you know in some cases can be catastrophic so it's you know important and scary stuff and i can see why it's central in terms of being able to deal with it in the right way is is absolutely fundamental to offering a good customer experience and i I suppose to that point you know my little ramble there about the past i mean how has customer experience changed in recruitment over the years do you think Well, I've noticed more and more frequently there's less personal interaction because more and more companies now use RPOs. This is recruitment process outsourcers. So they're companies who sit in between the recruiter and the hiring manager and they try and do the bulk of the recruitment on behalf of the client. But roles that they can't fill, they then go out to other agencies. So sometimes that's when I get sight of these roles. But what it does mean is that for me, speaking to the horse's mouth, you know, speaking to the hiring manager gets harder and harder. And I think that these RPOs definitely fulfill a service. They obviously save companies money in lots of cases, but they're very often heavily targeted and focused on numbers, cost savings, and just role filling rather than getting the best possible fit for the role. So it does make it more, you know, more tricky. I would say there's also a far greater focus on rates, meaning that we can't always propose the best candidates. I'm really honest about this when I speak to clients. You know, if a client says to me, Claire, you know, the rate is you know, X and I know that you're not going to get someone with enough experience for that rate, then I'm clear about that. So, you know, and that does mean that the exper- the customer experience that you're delivering to the client isn't as great as it could be because the candidate you're putting forward maybe might not be quite right. So it has changed. But you know what? I think it's going to come around full circle. And I and the clients that I have that come back to me again and again and again, I know that they really, really value the fact that I can have a, a long-winded, honest, straightforward conversation with them about candidates and about what they're likely to get, you know, in terms of what they want. And I, I think that that's the way it's going to go. Okay, cool. And just to sort of round that up, really, I mean, whenever I'm talking to anybody about customer experience in any sector, we always get on to digital. We always get on to the way in which technology is 
making lives easier for customers, if you like, or, or changing the fundamental business model in terms of how you go about doing business simply because of the advances in things like digital and the advances of, of technologies like AI. And I suppose the question is, you know, I know I sort of made a bit of a joke about it earlier about AI, but, you know, won't AI replicate the role of, or certainly some of the role of a recruiter in the future? Can you Can you not see a time when, you know, it's easy to just go onto an app and kind of spell out what you're looking for and, and maybe using some clever technology, looking at your past preferences and all those sort of things, you can go and find people that way? Yeah, absolutely. And it is already, Neil. I think AI in recruitment holds a vital role at the moment to streamline and automate some sections of recruitment. It means that recruiters can then focus on automatically sifted CVs. And of course, there's a lot of time to be saved then. I mean, even LinkedIn has upgrades all the time. And now there's a kind of automatic matching process where, you know, you you type in the keywords and you you come up with a search of quite a lot of candidates, which you can then go through. It saves you scrolling through them all. But I don't think that AI will ever be able to replicate the cultural fit and the sense of how people fit into an organization. I mean, personally, I wouldn't want to put down to a machine that doesn't have human cognitive abilities, the ability to, you know, say this candidate's right. So I think, yes, there's definitely time savings and definitely automation that will help recruitment, but I don't think you'll ever replicate that very, very important cultural fit. I mean, here at Penn, when we recruit, we're so cautious to make sure we get people with the right values they don't have to be the same values but they have to be the right values and i don't think we'd ever rely on a machine to do that do you no no i certainly hope not <laughs> certainly hope not and it's the it's the fun part of the job isn't it is dealing with their clients and um developing those relationships over a number of years so that when they do need something rather than going to an algorithm they pick up the phone and call you and i guess a lot of your business is repeat business right as a result yeah, of that yeah absolutely yeah absolutely good yeah. all right well i mean to summarize what have i taken away from that i've taken away the importance of empathy the fundamental tenets of customer experience seem to be alive and well in recruitment from what i can see and hear really understanding the needs of all the parties that are involved in these transactions, if I can call it that way, and, and obviously the ongoing and enduring importance of human judgment around the cultural fit of taking somebody and placing them in an organisation. If they're not a good fit, they're going to bounce out straight away and, and not do a good job. So um, I, I guess those are the, are the key points. Anything else that you'd like to emphasise at the end of this as we as we wrap up? I don't think so. I think you're right about empathy. That's probably the, the most important part. I think there is more to be said on the customer experience in recruitment, though. So I'm thinking about writing a series of articles that might hopefully be coming out soon on LinkedIn. So keep an eye out for those. There's only so much you can get into a podcast. But um, (laughs) no, it's been a really interesting conversation, Neil. Thank you very much. Uh, Likewise, absolutely. So watch out for the articles. And um, thanks, Claire. That's been brilliant. Thank you. Bye. Thanks very much for listening today. If you found that useful, please give us a like on whatever platform you're listening to us on. And if you'd like to know more, You can find us at penpartnership.com or you can follow Pen Partnership on LinkedIn. Until next time, goodbye.